Hi there, and thanks for joining us. On this episode, we hear from the Cork company that's trying to save the world's bees, a capital guy on the importance of capital, and a trip to arguably the best Santa experience in the country. I'm Jonathan Healy, and this is Red Business. Red Business. Cork's exclusive business podcast. Now, Santa is already in residence in Photo to meet all the boys and girls of Cork, but it's a really big operation down there, and there was no way even Red Business could get in when the big man was on site himself. So, shortly before he arrived, I went down and I spoke with his right hand man, Seamus Lee, the marketing manager of Photo Resort. We just had a quick walk around outside looking at what is going to be another fantastic Christmas here. What are you building up to? What's the theme this year? Well, you saw all the elves working busily out there, Jonathan. It was, um, it's, they scurry around the place with nattering and, and pieces of plywood over their... Over their I was amazed uh, at how they could lift so much plywood, given the size of them. Uh, they're very strong. They're very strong. I mean, they're, they're, they're at it for literally centuries. But um, what they've decided to um, work with us on this year is um, Christmas Town. Right, I don't know if you know about Christmas Town, Jonathan, but it's um, it's basically it's a lovely sort of um, Dickensian place that um, where all the Christmas decorations are made, Christmas trees are grown. Basically, everything that's not a Christmas present is made. So all the other bits and pieces that you see around Christmas, from your wreaths to your candles to um, your decorations and wrapping paper, it's all made in Christmas town. And I think the elves are going to allow us see it this year. Well, you see, they seem to be manufacturing some kind of portal that will get us to Christmas town, where we'll see all of those things happening. Yeah, there's there's a lady, um, um, Beatrix Cogsworthy is her name. She's the engineer in charge of that whole system. I think it's called the Cards system um, where basically um, it brings the boys and girls and mums and dads from Fort Island Resort to see Christmas Town. There is a snag right? There's always a snag Yeah there's a snag It's not working yet So, but apparently the boys and girls will be able to help us um, fix that. There's a few bits and pieces that Beatrix needs some help with um, and once that's um, sorted, I think we'll be able to go see Christmas Town. Hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, and I'm sure the boys and girls of Cork will be doing that with gusto. This is the sixth year that Photo has become a magical place at Christmas, and uh, you know, every year, the mums and dads would look at it and go, "How are they going to do it next year? How are they going to find that little bit of magic? How do you find that little bit of magic?" It's simple. We ask the elves. Right? It's very straightforward. We have to have use no brain power whatsoever. We simply sit down with a bunch of elves every January and say, how do we make this interesting? As you say, it's our sixth year. Um, believe, wish, imagine, discover, beyond and now seek. Um, uh, soon I won't be able to remember the list. Um, uh, you can check it twice. <laughs> you can see, that's, what, that's I, you can see what I did there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're going to work with a, they come up with a plan each year for us, and it's it's very exciting, really, because each January, February, they present us a new plan as to what ne- next piece of Christmas uh, and the story, the stuff that we might not all know about that we might discover this year. How many boys and girls and their mums and dads are you going to cater for this year over the course of the Christmas? How long does it run, first of all? Okay, it opens on November 23rd, so um, that's not too far away. And uh, it runs right through to December 23rd. Um, and uh, we would suspect that we'll have at least 60,000 boys and girls and mums and dads and 
and others with with them um, uh, this Christmas? It is a mammoth organisational task for the hotel, which still has to function as a hotel. Mm -hmm. The golf club, admittedly, because of the time of year, will be a little quieter, but people will still want to play golf, and you have Mm -hmm. 60,000 people coming to see Santi. It's not the thing you draw on yourself willingly, but yet here you are for the sixth year. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, um, one of the things when um, our owners uh, bought uh, Fort Island Resort uh, six years ago now as it happens um, one of the things they wanted to do was to do this and we were very positive and, and we came up with this idea to, to work with Santa and the elves and so on and it, it's worked really well for us so um, it's, it's really exciting to be able to create a new idea each year and to work with that. Obviously, this hotel uh, came into existence at, let's say, not the best time in terms of the economic cycle. This has been a good year for every hotel, but it's been a particularly good year for the photo collection, and and that's down to the hard work of the staff and the marketing team of which you're responsible for. But overall, it has been quite a good year in terms of tourists coming in, in terms of stays, and in terms of that little bit of value being added back. Without question, I think um, we've been very fortunate at Photo Island Resort and and Photo Collection as a whole um, over the last number of years that... To be honest with you, it's, we've, been, we've done well right throughout. We're very popular with the families. We're very popular with corporates. We're very popular for weddings and events and things like that. And it's been very good for us. This year, um, our financial year just finishes, and we, we, we've operated at well into the 80% occupancy throughout the year, which is phenomenal for a five-star resort. And we're very... And again, a five-star resort that's not in the centre of somewhere. It's a five-star resort that you do have to go a little bit out of the way, not hugely. Oh, we'd say we're right in the centre of everything aren't we right alongside Cork City I mean what else do you want um, true spoken like a true marketing man by the way um, so 15 minutes from everywhere I think is what's on our marketing collateral but but genuinely it's I think it's because we're quite eclectic in how we deliver our services to people we have many different target markets and try to treat them all with the same importance and respect and that's why we're quite successful you correctly say that one of the main reasons we are successful is the wonderful staff we have here and right across the photo collection we have over 500 staff almost 600 now and then that's not counting the extra 200 elves we have at christmas um so their hard work and dedication is what gets us um, to where we are. And to be honest with you, the support of our customers is sensational. And they, they come back year on year. What I find brilliant about coming to the hotel is that the standard is always maintained. In fact, if anything, you keep pushing that standard. I, I know you, you say it's a five-star, so obviously mm. you have to hit that mark. Mm. But you're in an industry where you evolve or die. And, and if people start saying, well got a bit stale it's gone a bit old they don't come back and and you don't get that here do you we're very fortunate i think um firstly i think um the natural resource that we have photo island by its nature irrespective of whether there's a hotel or or whatever is just a sensational place to be um so we're very fortunate from the outset because we have that we also have a wonderful um, large golf club and membership here which really um, keeps pushing us and we work with them all the time to keep adding and adding something extra, doing something new. I mean, last year we added a, an adventure centre to the, to the resort um, which allows us, um, you know, do all sorts of team building, um, corporate uh, days out, right through to families and kids having fun. Um, so we keep adding and looking for new ways for people to have um, an enjoyable break.
Given that we are legitimately talking about Christmas, which is great, can I tell you my, my, my new Christmas joke? Now, I robbed it from somebody, but it's okay. my favourite one. The only thing I'd warn you is I've probably heard every one. Well, no, this is, you mightn't have heard this one. He, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, but unfortunately Santa has fallen foul of Section 4 of the GDPR legislation and has to give up a percentage of his turnover. I hadn't heard that one. That is absolutely ex- exceptional. Yeah, I, I know you didn't laugh, though. Um, <laughs> Seamus, we can wish you and all the team of elves here at uh, Photo Island the very best of luck. It's going to be a great season, no doubt. And uh, um, from everyone at Red Business, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas to you, too. Red Business. All that's best about business in Cork. The humble bee has been something that's under pressure a lot in recent years. And we know that we need them. Arguably, without them, civilization doesn't continue. But how do we make a business out of maintaining the humble bee? Well, my next guest is somebody who has done just that and has dedicated not just her academic career, but also her business future to protecting the bees by creating a very clever technological solution to help Beekeepers. Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy is with the Apis Protect company that has uh, been up and running for about 12 months now and is on the verge of great things. Fiona, how are you? I'm very good. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks very much for interviewing me. Last time we met was Mm -hmm. on a bus uh, when I was interviewing (laughs) you as it was driving around for a project with the local enterprise office. So I'm glad we're actually stationary today. That's a a positive start to the whole proceedings. Um, Tell me a little bit about Apis Protect. What does it do? Yeah, sure. So uh, at Apes Protect, what we do is we use the Internet of Things and machine learning technologies to help beekeepers reduce losses and increase productivity in their hives. So what we do is we have a sensor device that goes inside the beehive and that collects a whole variety of different kinds of data, things like temperature, humidity, carbon dioxide, and it sends all of that data back to us. And what we do then, what, what our really secret ingredient is, is that we actually take that data, which doesn't really mean anything to a beekeeper. So a beekeeper doesn't care how much carbon dioxide is in their beehive and we actually turn those raw data into meaningful uh, insights for the beekeeper so we tell the beekeeper how much honey is he producing uh, you know uh, are the bees healthy is there something that they need to do right now is there an emergency in the beehive so we help them to manage their beekeeping much more effectively so in other words it is a, a constant health check almost like a heart monitor at the center of the beehive with technology that didn't exist what 10 years ago yeah yeah five years ago <laughs> yeah so it's brand new technology yeah and um especially like really the internet of things is like that emerging over the last couple of years i mean when i started working on the internet of things it wasn't called the internet of things it was wireless sensor networks and suddenly somebody came along one day and went oh, the name has changed uh but really this technology is changing constantly and the technology that we have right now physically wouldn't have been possible even 24 months ago. So how does it work? I mean, we're all used to Internet of Things and mm-hmm. having light bulbs that, that are connected to the Internet. But it, a light bulb is connected to the Internet in a house. Mm-hmm. A beehive traditionally is in the middle of nowhere connected to nothing. Yeah, so um, we're using a combination of different kinds of networking to, to actually cover all of the beehives that we're working with. So we use different things like um, cellular connectivity, and we're actually using satellite connectivity in some of our beehives as well, because like that, they are in the absolute middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert in California, growing almonds and stuff like that. So they have to be reliable everywhere in the world. Now, why are bees in trouble? Uh, like, there, there is uh, a constant concern about the the health of the bee Mm -hmm. population not just here in ireland but around the world you know apocalyptic stories that half of the half of the hives were dying Mm -hmm. Uh, have you through your research found any one reason as to why that's happening i I think 
everybody's looking for one reason, but there is no one reason. It's the problems that bees are experiencing is that there are so many problems that bees are facing. So things like increased agriculture in, in, you know, in our countryside, we're losing our biodiversity. So uh, the wildflowers that bees need to survive because they need a mixture of different kinds of foods, essentially. So if you're just giving bees blueberries, you know, the same as if you just gave humans blueberries, they get pretty sick pretty quickly. Uh, but there's also a huge variety of other problems, things like diseases and pests that are spreading all around the world. You know, we transport bees between different countries and they bring their diseases with them. Uh, so places like, you know, Europe, where we didn't originally have the varroa mite, which is one of the biggest um, pests that bees are experiencing all over the world. The varroa mite came from Asia. You know, we, we haven't always had the varroa mite. And then there are other things like pesticides and diseases and stuff like that that are also impacting the health of the bees. How in the name of God did you end up in this line of work? Uh, your background is as a scientist in UCC. Mm-hmm. Uh, at what point did bees take your fancy? Uh, yep. So, yeah, my background is in, I started off in electrical engineering in UCC and definitely bees is not where <laughs> I no, thought no, I'd no. end up. Yeah. But there's a buzzing that connects both, but that's about it. <laughs> that's about it. Yeah. Um, so I've like that, the internet of things is really, that's the technology that I knew that I wanted to work with. And then when I started hearing about all of the problems that bees were having, you know, it was kind of, you know, it's all over the press and it has been for the last like, you know, 10 years. When I started to hear about all of that, I started to wonder has anybody tried to use sensors to help? Like, it seems like, you know, they're spread out all over the world. Nobody really knows what's going on with them. They kind of die and people go, oh, I have no idea why they're dead. And it was like, well, sensors, that's exactly what sensors are designed to do. And then I looked into it and it was like, nobody has really tried to use sensors to help bees. And I was like, great, I'm going to do a PhD in that. And so I did. And and here you are. (laughs) And and the good news uh, that you only announced in the last couple of days is that the company is expanding. So tell us a little bit about that expansion. Yeah, so we're delighted. Uh, We've raised a 1.5 million euro seed round. And what that's going to allow us to do is continue developing our technology, growing our team here in Cork up to 25 people over the next three years and get our technology into hundreds of thousands of beehives uh, over the coming years. So this isn't just a uniquely Irish company. Mm. Your hives... Well, your technology is going to be in hives right across the globe in the most rural parts of the world. Yes. Uh, and that's where you see this as an expanding business. Yeah, exactly. So we actually already have beehives in the United States, here in Ireland and in the UK. And we're also expanding at the moment uh, into extra, uh, more locations in the US. So we've already got six. We're going to seven. And then we're also rolling out beehives at the moment in South Africa. So we're global already. <laughs> Do you like bees? Uh, yes, <laughs> I do, and I love honey. And actually, at the moment, we're monitoring six million honeybees. So, yeah, we're minding six million of them. So we that, do like that, them. that's a lot of honeybees <laughs> to look after. And it all is done remotely through Cork. How does it work? Is there a central point? Yeah, so the central point is here in Cork. So all of that data from the beehives all over the world is transmitted back here to us, where we do our like that our machine learning. We generate those insights and we send that information back to the beekeepers. So really, it is all focused here in Cork. And we've got a, a massive history here in Cork of beekeeping. I mean, like St. Gubnut is the patron saint of beekeeping, and she's from Ballyvorney. So, yeah, yeah, so, and there's a lot of um, art and stuff like that in UCC around bees and stuff like that. Because See, that this is why yeah. it was always worthwhile asking silly questions because I did <laughs> not realise St. Gubnet was the saint of beekeeping yep. and that she came from Ballyvorney. So, you are following on in the tradition of St. Gubnet then, Fiona, <laughs> if that's the case. Exactly, yeah, yeah. So, Ireland has always been uh, a massive beekeeping centre in the world and we're helping continue that tradition. And just to finish up, have you seen an improvement in the hives that you're monitoring? Ultimately, there's no point in doing this unless you have a better result. So have you any metric on how this particular APIS Protect project and product 
has improved the lives of the humblebees. Yes, yeah, so we've already detected a, a couple of a couple of problems in beehives. We've been watching an awful lot about um, ventilation. So we've been helping beekeepers identify, especially in the hot weather this summer, um, identify when the beehives were overheating and stuff like that. And just some slight modifications about how you um, keep your bees um, can actually increase or decrease the temperature dramatically. And obviously that's important if it's either really hot or really cold outside. Well, we wish you and all of your bees continued success, all six million of them, and indeed the 25 staff that you'll be working with here. Dr. Fiona Edwards-Murphy, CEO and co-founder of Apis Protect, thank you so much for joining us on Red Business. Thanks very much. The only show in town for Cork Business, Red Business. Minding your money. It's at the top of every business's to-do list, but how good are you at doing it and do you read the fine print? Well, my next guest says you probably don't read it well enough. It's a pleasure to welcome to Red Business, John Finn from Treasury Solutions. John, how are you? I'm great, Jonathan. Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your background, first of all. How did you end up in this particular area? Okay. Um, I trained as a chartered accountant with Arthur Anderson in Dublin and uh, decided auditing was too exciting for me. So <laughs> I wanted to look for an alternative route in finance and uh, Treasury was just an emerging area at the time. So I, when I was finished my training, I joined Reiner as the first Treasury accountant back in 1989, and uh, I've basically worked in the area ever since. So I came down to Cork in 1995 as group treasurer of Musgrave Group because they were going to expand significantly, they were going to acquire, they were going to borrow money as a private company, and they wanted somebody to handle all their dealings with the bank. So borrowings, interest rates, foreign exchange, cash management, anything that was in that box. So that, that is what Treasury is. For yes. people who maybe operate at a lower level with smaller turnover, they wouldn't necessarily have too much demand for it, but that effectively is what Treasury does, manages everything. Everything in the banking sense, yeah. So, I mean, people think you have to be a big company to have some sort of Treasury operations. You don't. Once you're in business, you have Treasury risks because you're either borrowing money, uh, which means you have the risk on, in, in sense of borrowing it, make sure it's a good um, constructed well and it, it's it's safe and minds you. You have interest rate risk, obviously, if you're borrowing because you've you've got debt. You have interest rate risk if you have deposits because our rates going up or down. Should you fix it? Should you not? Uh, foreign exchange hits nearly every company in Ireland. They just don't see it a lot of the time because quite often they assume if they're been invoiced in euros, for example, um, there's no foreign exchange. But if they're bringing something in from the UK, by, and that we've seen this in the Brexit roadshows in particular. Um, they have foreign exchange risk. It, it, it just, it's not explicit foreign exchange risk. But if there's a movement in the exchange rate, it will probably translate into higher prices if it goes one way, probably not translate into lower prices if it goes the other way. It, it sounds like the kind of stuff that when you're running a business and you're busy with the day-to-day and you're trying to either get people through the front door or make sure your sales are where they're supposed to be, you don't look at this level of detail because you consider it not quite beneath you but not a major priority. Do you find a lot of the time that what was once considered not a major priority can escalate quite quickly? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're certainly right. It's what I would call undermanaged. And partly, I think, because accountants are not good in this space either, to be honest with you. We're not trained in this space. I mean, I've spent 25 years doing it. So it's experience as opposed to technical training. Um, and uh, so that's part of the problem. And as you say, a lot of it then would be maybe to think it swings and roundabouts, say, for example, on interest rates or currency. So it's the sort of stuff that... You know, it'll pass. But the problem with this area is it's a bit like you know starting at a, at a level point, finishing at a level point, but it dips in the middle, like the, cur- like the crisis we had. People were saying, and it would be fair comment, that in general, um, if they were given enough time, they would have been able to 
bat their way out of, out of the crisis from a financial perspective when things went wrong. But it's the dip that kills you. So um, I would have spent an awful lot and continue. Probably 50% of my work still today is spent on helping companies making sure that they actually get the right borrowing agreements in place. So in other words, that they negotiate it correctly, that it's appropriate for them and that getting back to what you're saying, the attention to detail, because the attention to detail will save you or will kill you so when things dip. are you the poor sod who has to read all the terms and conditions? Is that effectively I, your job? For an accountant, it's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. I literally will read every word on every line of 200-page borrowing agreements because you, the devil is in the detail. That must be torture. Uh, it is. I'd sooner crank numbers, but <laughs> you've got to do it. And I suppose that's where the value is, really, joking apart, because quite often what you find is that you know lawyers are very good at understanding the legalese, but what you're trying to do is match the commercial flexibility that a company wants with the legalities of what's in the agreement and making sure basically that they have the flexibility to allow them to do the things they want to. And quite often that, that's missed quite easily, particularly when you get to smaller agreements maybe where there's just standard terms and conditions, you know. You, you've set up something called the Treasury Hub, which sure. involves uh, four accountancy firms, including Buckley Kiley, who many people are familiar with here in Cork. What are you hoping to do with that? Is it to draw in that level of expertise to help those accountancy firms on, on this particularly complicated and turgid area? Yeah, sure. As I said, like none of the even across the board, the large firms would really concentrate in this space. But there's a need for it, and we, we know that. And in particular, there's a need for it in what I would call the mid-corporate market. So companies turning over from probably 5 million up to 100 million. So what the collaboration is, and that's what it is, that I'm working with these firms, basically, I'm part of their service if they need me. Um, so that just literally means if somebody wants me for a day because of something particularly complicated, I'll do that. But I'm also working with them to, to upskill them. So we've actually created a database, um, for example, on, um, on you know, getting into detail on these loan agreements on interest rates of foreign exchange. And that's available to their uh, staff, their corporate finance staff, whereby basically it means that if stuff comes in, they now have actually something to benchmark and, and peer review against. It's done to the highest standards because I've generated it literally from scratch. And the idea really is as a transfer of knowledge to all these firms, um, they upskill. If they upskill, their clients get more out of it. If their clients get more out of it, they're better at managing it and their businesses financially become more stable as well. So there's a kind of a win-win in this space if you can get engagement. You and I met on the Breaks of Roadshow, the aforementioned Breaks of Roadshows. We've been touring the country around trying to get businesses to think about what they need to do to get ready for the 29th of March next year. It's, it's interesting, and I want to see your perspective, because I, I, I see it from my side, which is, you know, the MC of the events, how largely unprepared businesses are. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that your feeling as well, that yeah, yes, they turned up to the event and some of them were on different points in the journey, but pretty much because of the nature of Brexit, companies just aren't prepared for the worst case scenario and are living in the hope it'll be the next best thing? Yeah, I think, first of all, the observation would be the people who are at those events probably at least are engaged in some way, shape or form. So your first worry is what percentage of the local businesses were not there, because that would be the bigger concern. Um, secondly, I would say that uh, you're right. Everyone's hoping that there won't be a hard Brexit, and therefore, and, and another view would have been we'll wait and see what happens. But we're now, you know, we're less what, we're less than four months away from it, um, and take Christmas over, you can say there's three months to go. So the possibility of a hard Brexit is increasing. Let's be honest; it's not getting any better. And the other observation I made, which is, uh, and it's just. Again, something I picked up over, we did a number of them, as you know, up around the border and we pushed right down into the Midlands and, and down to the south. I noticed that the companies closer to the border were better engaged in the Stirling area. They were actually more comfortable with it because they're dealing with Stirling literally all their lives. Whereas the farther south we came, they were less um, comfortable with the topic, but I would say less engaged as well. So you had a strange situation that those who 
we're probably a little bit more knowledgeable in, in that space. We're actually also more engaged and vice versa. And that bit would worry me because that tells me that um, there's a lot of companies running a lot of risks out there. And it, 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 it goes way beyond currency because one of the concerns I would have straight away is if you're selling into the UK, if they have a hard Brexit, they will have a recession. If they have a recession, their banking sector will tighten up significantly. Now, that creates problems potentially if you're selling into the UK because suddenly your customers might find their overdrafts have been cut. If their overdrafts have been cut, suddenly they're going to take 60 days rather than 30 days to pay you. Can you withstand that? The flip side of it, because there's always opportunity, excuse me, is um, I think good companies in the UK will get into trouble quickly if that happens, which will mean that companies here who are are ready to pounce, as it were, uh, have some cash available and or investors, and there's a lot of investment money out there, I think there'll be ample opportunities to actually pick up some really good companies so there's always opportunity in these things as well never waste a good crisis that's a phrase that's been used more than once Uh, John how do people find out more about Treasury Solutions and indeed the Treasury Hall Uh, we've got our um, websites for both so it's www.treasurysolutions.ie for my own core business and then we have um, the Treasury Hub or indeed if you go to any one of the firm's websites and in particular I said Buckley Kylie here in Cork I've been working with the lads there for I'd say 10-15 years particularly because of their expertise in, in a lot of startup in the tech space so uh, if they visit their website as well uh, John Flynn there will, will help them out Okay um, John absolute pleasure thanks so much for joining us and best of luck with Treasury Solutions Thank you very much Jonathan My thanks to all my guests don't forget you can download the entire series by heading to redfm.ie or from iTunes Neil Hennessy produced and we'll catch you on the next one The only show in town for Cork Business Red Business Red Business